from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to our annual holiday episode of the Cry Havoc podcast. On December 10th, Cry Havoc held an open workshop session in our rehearsal and performance studio on 36th Street in Manhattan, where we invited our audience to join us for an evening of holiday goodies and readings from this year's annual collection of very short holiday plays, written for our Gift to Square Foot program, which we'll tell you about later in the episode. This year, 15 of our playwrights wrote new holiday plays for this year's collection, Around the World for the Holidays. This year's collection is a special one to us because it is connected to, and in some ways a continuation of, the Worldwide Theatre Festival that we held in November to celebrate the 15th anniversary of the Cry Havoc Company. For this festival, we joined with theatre companies around the world to bring 39 productions of 25 Cry Havoc developed plays by 14 playwrights to audiences on all seven continents. Like every year, each of our playwrights was given an assignment. Each of the very short holiday plays was to be no longer than five pages, to take place during the holiday season, to feature at least one character from a play that they, or with their permission another playwright, developed in the workshop, and to be inspired by a randomly assigned song. This year, all of the inspiration songs contained the location of one of our worldwide festival sites in their title. What follows is a live reading of nine of these plays, each followed by a selection from the song that inspired it and a few words from the playwright about how the play came to be. So sit back and enjoy. Happy holidays from all of us at Cry Havoc, and we will now join the event with the first of our very short holiday plays. Uh, first off, we have Black Sleigh Down, or White Christmas in Machu Picchu, a very short holiday play by Jim Fagan, inspired by the song South America, as, per as performed by the Shout Out Louds, and featuring the character Leah from the play Intelligence by Jennifer Reichert. Uh, we've got Jersey Gwizdowski and Caitlin Wilcox, and tonight we're going to be having Jenny Curlin and Caitlin Hallman reading alternatingly uh, stage directions for us all. So, uh, Caitlin and Jersey. Black Sleigh Down, or White Christmas in Machu Picchu, a very short holiday play by Jim Fagan, Cry Havoc Summer 2012 Graduate Apprentice. 13.07 degrees south, 72.35 degrees west, a valley near Machu Picchu, Peru, South America, December 24th, 2350 PET. Sound of a helicopter getting closer. Leah sprints and dives into a clearing and settles on the edge of a moss-covered rock. From her pouch, she quickly pulls a blanket of moss-like material, throwing it over herself seconds before a large helicopter searchlight passes over her. Stillness as the sound recedes. She pulls off the moss, opens her pack, and cocks her Glock 26 pistol, strapping it to her ankle. Then, she assembles an M82A1 M107 Barrett sniper rifle, <laughs> slings it over her shoulder, checks the scope, and fix it, fixes it on the distance. She swaps it with a pair of night vision goggles, checks her target, 
Then, sighing, still not satisfied, removes a candy cane from a small breast pocket and chews on it unceremoniously. <laughs> Helicopter sounds. She drops her candy cane in the dirt. The chopper doesn't get close. This ticks Leah off. She slings a long tube off her back and effortlessly pieces together her M3 Carl Gustav rocket launcher. She lays a missile next to it, eyeing the sky as if to say, just try it. Suddenly she freezes. No breathing, no blinking, just listens. Then, in one fluid movement, she whips her Glock out and aims it, locked and steadied, at the moss-covered rock. Out. A very proper British voice responds from the moss. I see they gave you the full set of kitchen cutlery for Christmas. Out. If you're going to crash my spot, I'd appreciate it if you didn't alert the entirety of the shining path to our existence. Leah cocks her weapon. Peter pulls off his own moss-like blanket. He wears a full tuxedo. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to see you again, Agent. Holstering her gun. You've got to be kidding me, Agent. You look fetching as always. We can't all look like James Bond. Looking at himself. Right. <laughs> Tonight was a black tie affair hosted by the public front of the Shining Path Party. I thought I'd have a night cut by paying their private backers a visit. Pure intel. And you? Starting an all drug war, or are we just blowing up Machu Picchu? Classified. Really? Natural assassination? Who's pissed off America this week? Leah gives him a look that says, if I told you, I'd love to kill you, and goes back to scoping out the territory below. Peter settles in close, but not too close. So, what are we doing here? Smoke them out? Classic rocket launcher into the mess hall? He comes running out in the open, and in the confusion, you give him the old king and country? Or whatever you call it, the old... uh, Presidential mandate. (laughs) You know, if you end up setting fire to that compound, you risk making half of South America high as a kite. If you're going to be here, shut up. Well, 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 now. We're allies, last I checked. Is this about Kathmandu? (laughs) (laughs) Because, really... I am here working. If you continue to act like an obstruction, I will treat you like one and remove you. This has some effect. A helicopter sound, but far off. Leah loads the rocket launcher. What do you think? Security or tracking? She glares at him. Well reasoned. The two sit in silence. Leah is fixed on her target. Peter is fixed on her. So... You're proper freelance now. Word gets around. I'm here with NATO, actually. I'm a genuine peacekeeper, so let's keep it peaceful, huh? (laughs) Almost imperceptible, Leah scoops a handful of dirt. So after the quick strike, then what? Hop the border, hide out? Since you're on your own and all, you need a place to stay. Leah throws the dirt in Peter's eyes. Ah! She swiftly kicks Peter directly to the chest. But he's ready for the next blow. They exchange a volley of punches, kicks, parries, and counters. Stay the night as if I... She punches him rather than finish her thought. I only meant to say if you were freelance, that meant you might 
You might have taken the assignment on your own free will. God, woman, my eyes. He lands a punch. Ha. <laughs> it would mean you're all alone tonight, of all nights, and that would mean... Leah lands an impressive kick to the throat, which shuts Peter up for the moment. <laughs> he staggers to the ground. She whips out her signature wicked sawtooth blades. Everyone in the espionage world knows her by these blades. You rarely see these and live to describe them. Katmandu. Pressing the flat end of the blade to him. Just listen. I took this job for one very specific reason. One, because I wanted to be alone tonight, and this seemed to pretty much guarantee it. Alone. That's first. Second, I did my homework. This area is an operative dead zone. No NATO activity. Sanctioned. Completely, utterly alone. Guaranteed. So I'm going to ask you just one time, and if you lie, I'll kill you. And I'll know if you're lying. What are you doing here? I came for you. Well, you failed. She lifts the blade above her head, ready to drive it home. No, no, not like that, bugger. Wait, I, I'm Martin Keene. <laughs> Martin Keene's an old man. He, he, he hired you. Uh, which is to say, I hired you, since I'm him. Well, I'm not actually him, as you know, I'm, I'm British Secret Service. Well, former, now really, defector. You know, off with his head and all that. <laughs> That's news to you. Uh, I've assumed the identity of Keen to, um, to reach, to hire you. <laughs> uh, I mean, to get you here. Say more. I wanted to, Jesus, this is embarrassing. I wanted to run into you again, like Kathmandu. <laughs> that night, that, that night was so, uh, and you were so, I, I even dressed up for the occasion. Oh my God, this mission is made up? Sort of. Not really, I did actually hire you. I was going to assassinate Yatala. Yeah, well, he's not a good guy anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Please, you must understand. I've wanted... I thought about you, and after that night, I couldn't stop. Like you said, you, you said that night when we were, which was incredible, by the way, night of my life, really. But you said how it can be so lonely, which I never thought of before. So thanks a lot for that. Because after that, I started crying in the middle of missions, <laughs> totally unprovoked until it really started screwing up my work. The fact is, everywhere I went on a mission, I just wanted to run into you. And I started to dream. We would just run away together and screw the mission, you know, the Kathmandu. And it got so, well, I had to get out. See, I'd worked up a lot of money over the years, a bit off the top, you know. And I quit, but then I was still lonely, and the problem, turns out, wasn't the work at all. It was me. More specifically, me without you. See? So, I heard you went freelance from a buddy of mine at the company, and I just had to see you. Only, you're not the kind of girl one just looks up, so I made this plan. And I thought, just maybe you're freelance now, you could get out. I'm Defector. We're both free. 
<laughs> Don't you see? Oh, and I borrowed this tux. I hadn't even thought about the whole James Bond thing. I swear. Tony? I said that? Out loud? Dawn glistening off your back. <laughs> Just about my favorite moment ever. They stare at each other in silence. Helicopter sounds go unheeded. The spotlight from the helicopter settles on them. It's romantic until it, until it starts shooting. <laughs> Leah shoves Peter, hits the ground, rolls to her launcher, and fires it up into the sky. It connects. We hear a massive explosion. Big globes of white come floating down from the sky. Oh, it's festive. I think this is Coke. <laughs> could be, could be. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Yeah, Mary. Mary. <laughs> we should run. Opposite direction? Probably. Peter, that night, for me, um, too. But don't you ever pull this again, or next time I will kill you. Will there be a next time? She aims her sniper at him, its neat red laser dot settling on his forehead. He freezes. She approaches him carefully, lowers the gun, and kisses him. Next time I'll find you. They sprint off in opposite directions as we hear dogs barking and soldiers shouting. End of play. <laughs> Dormitory room. 
A couple lies still in bed. Jackson, 20, opens his eyes. He delicately shifts his weight and glances over his shoulder at the girl next to him. She's asleep. He slowly crawls out of bed and scans the room for his clothes, fumbling for them in the dark. He pulls on his pants and his shoes, <clears throat> scoops his shirt off the ground, and grabs his jacket off the hook on the door. You forgot your keys. Mary rolls over in bed and flips on the lamp on the bedside table. Jackson quickly rehangs his jacket. I was just going to the bathroom. With your <laughs> shoes on? <laughs> Paranoid. Fungus. You know. Uh-huh. You think I was going to walk out of here shirtless? You don't have to stay, Jackson. But don't do that. I should go. Thank you. Mary throws Jackson his keys. Jackson starts for the door. Where are you going to go? Just home. McFadden. I mean, where are you going to stay? The dorm's closed tomorrow for break. Uh, I've got places I can go. I'll be fine. All right. Jackson nods. Merry Christmas. Because I was thinking maybe you'd like to come home with me. For the holidays. <laughs> That's... It's nice of you to offer, uh, but really, I'll be fine. I'm not worried about whether or not you'll be fine. I want you to come. Uh, I'm not fun to be around during the holidays, Mariah. Uh, just trust me. You don't want me to come. I'm tired of this, Jackson. I'm sick of waking up in the middle of the night to see that you've left again. My classes are on the other side of campus. And you know I don't sleep here. You think I sleep once you've left? I'm up every night trying to figure out what's wrong with me. It, it has nothing to do with you. Well, I'm sorry that it doesn't feel that way. But this, what is it, arrangement? I, I don't know what it is, but it seems awfully convenient for you, which is not something I am interested in being. Con uh, convenient, what is convenient about the schlep up to North Campus? Well, this can be the last time you make the schlep. What do you want from me, Mar? I don't want anything from you, Jackson. I'm just not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to invest in this just to have you fence me out like everyone else. I've decided. I don't do that. No? Why can't you go home, Jack? I've told you, it's complicated. Were things complicated at Drexel, too? What are you You know what? I don't have to do this. Why did you come here, Jackson? Just answer that for me. I wanted to see you before you left. I mean to Cornell. Because they wanted me. So what if they wanted you? I'm asking, why did you leave Drexel? I don't know. I wanted to do bigger things. They told me that I would do bigger things here, so I transferred. I thought you wanted to teach. I could still do that here. And you were still doing big things at Drexel. All the work you did to get published. Clearly the Journal of Applied Mathematics thought you were doing big things. You told me your faculty mentor nominated you for a Fields Medal for crying out loud. So why come here with a year left to go? All of that work amounted to nothing. 
other than getting everyone's attention here. And maybe if I had been here in the first place, somebody would have caught my mistakes before the world saw the them. The journal is peer-reviewed, Jackson. Plenty of people saw what you did before the world did. You're just avoiding the point. The reason you came here was to get away from her. No, don't. Don't try to make this about Jessica. I'm not, Jackson. You are. You are letting all of your relationships be affected by one failed one. And whatever she did to you is making it impossible for you to be with me. I'd love to try to work through that, but it is impossible when I have to drag the truth out of you in bits and pieces, and then I'm left to do the math. You couldn't even be honest about leaving two minutes ago when you were sneaking out my door. And I know th things have been hard, but I can't keep waiting for something to change. It has to change now. Hard? At 19, I reached the peak of my career by doing something no one else could do for hundreds of years, and then watched everyone turn their head in embarrassment when someone else proved me wrong. Don't try to tell me that you understand what it feels like, because no one does. You're right. I don't. But I don't think the solution is turning your back on everyone in return. Do you? I don't know. I thought of you in class yesterday. Yeah? I told you I've been working with Professor Keaton, right? The pigeons? Yes, the pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you what he was working on? No. He was attaching magnetic bars to the backs of these pigeons to prove that it interfered with their own ability to use the Earth's magnetic field as a way to guide them home. Basically, he's just trying to prove that they have their own internal compass. That sounds cruel. It sort of is. But that's not the point. Well, what is? It just made me think that if you would stop carrying around all this crap on your back, you would know which way to go. Well, the trouble is, Mirai, that that's not the kind of compass I come equipped with. Mine is the other kind, the kind that's good at drawing circles and measuring distances on a map. Jackson pulls his shirt over his head. Well, that's good. Let me map this out for you then. You can stay here, and we can do this for real. Or you can walk out that door and figure out what your next destination is, which you are free to do, and I'll be fine. I'm just not doing the circles anymore. That's my gift to myself this year. Maybe it should be yours, too. I don't sleep. Neither do I. Jackson crosses back toward the bed. 
He looks at Mari once more before reaching into his pocket and tossing his keys back onto the nightstand. He turns off the lamp. End of play. I did a year in my league, but I don't know where I'm from, cause every time I'm in love, I decide to leave. There's a compass that I keep inside of me, and my destination's pointing to a destiny I might not reach. They'll write a story about our novelty, upon the hillside below the horizon where the sun shines free. Yeah, I've never been a settler, but oh my god, how I miss my colony. I did a year in my league, but I don't know where I'm
<laughs> that bus is going back to Pittsburgh in 15 minutes. The conditions are too dangerous right now to continue on. So you just aren't going to New York? The next bus is scheduled to come through tonight at 8, and we'll get you in at 11.40 p.m. <laughs> Assuming the roads are clear. Would you like to get on that bus or go back to Pittsburgh? I want to get on the next bus. I want to get on the next bus, but I'm not sure about her. Sure. He looks over to see Amber returning, cheeks red. Sure, check with your girlfriend. She's not. Yeah. Um, I'll be right back. Mike picks up the bags and guitar case and drags them over to deposit them on the bank of seats. Okay, he is not coming home. He is still in Boston. I'm gonna kill him. I'm gonna kill him dead. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, did he get stuck in the blizzard? No. His family made him stay. I hate this weather. I talked to him this morning and he didn't even say anything. He let me get on a freaking bus on Christmas Day and then couldn't say no to Mama. <laughs> it is Christmas, family, you know. No, that's supposed to be the whole point. We're a family now. We're not kids. We live together and we should be together for Christmas. I made my family get up at 6 a.m. to do presents and Christmas breakfast so I could catch a disgusting bus to be with him. Well, it's not like you're married, right? So what? What if we never get married? We don't count separate Christmases forever? Ah. Uh -huh. No, I... <laughs> I just... Is that how it is back in Indiana? <laughs> Only legally married people count? Hey! <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. We made a plan. We saved our presents. We're supposed to make Christmas dinner together and go walking to see the shop windows like a family. I wanted my real New York family Christmas, and now I will be home alone in our cold apartment on Christmas night. Amber sits on the seats, grabs her bag, and starts digging through it to put away her wallet. Actually... We had a plan. He just took it all back without talking to me about it keeps doing this. It's like all the time now. We couldn't even say when he was coming home. I could be alone till New Year's Eve. He didn't say... No. They were on their way out the door and he wouldn't stay to talk to me. I'm, I'm just, uh... I'm supposed to just call him when I get there. He hasn't said that since we were in school. That seems not cool. Yeah. <laughs> Last year we went to Colorado together for Christmas, and now we're back to separate family Christmases. Amber, still digging through her bag, yanks out a snowman tin. I baked him Christmas cookies! Last year we didn't have any homemade cookies, so I, I can't bake. I messed up three batches to bake these so he would have homemade cookies at our Christmas, and I'm trying to make his Christmas better with cookies, and he can't even show up for it. Why does he make me act like such a girl? <laughs> when are we out of here? She shoves in the wallet and snowman tin. <clears throat> We're not. They canceled the rest of the route and the bus is going back to Pittsburgh. What? The next bus comes at eight or you can go back to Pittsburgh. Amber zips the bag shut violently. I don't want to go home. I'm trying to be a grown ass woman. <laughs> you can do that in Pittsburgh? No, shut up. What are you gonna do? Um, New York City or bust. <laughs> Mike shifts the guitar case and sits down. Well, <coughs> bust, it looks like. I guess I should go back to Pittsburgh. At least it's not here. What about you? I can't delay going to New York any longer. I already waited long enough. 
You're gonna be stuck in backwater PA for your Christmas? No. I'll be on my way to New York. That's my Christmas. That 8 o'clock bus will probably be canceled too and you'll be here overnight. At least Pisper has a Dunkin' Donuts. You don't get it. <laughs> this is my Christmas present to myself. I saved up so I could go to New York and be a musician. If I don't go all the way, it, it's like I did not, it's like not taking the gift. I'm not going backwards anymore, only forward motion. I got this far now and I'll get the rest of the way as soon as this lets up. I'm on my way to New York for Christmas and I don't care if I have to sleep in the bus depot to get there or if it's not even still Christmas when I get there. It's intense. Amber shifts her bag to the floor and sits. Well, it means a lot to me. I see that. What's your plan when you get there? Well, so far the plan is uh, get there. <laughs> uh, where are you going to stay? Well, I read about this place where I can stay for cheap and I, until I get a job and then I, I, I'll get my own place. Oh, dear. New York is going to eat you. <laughs> Do you know anyone? No. You know me? I barely know you. <laughs> that can change. You can stay at my place. Your boyfriend would be okay with that? I would think not. But you are. Forward motion. Yep. Um, it's the only way to go. I still want my Christmas. I'm going to. I'm going with you. Amber digs into her bag, pulls out the snowman tin, pops it open, and offers it to him. Cookie? Mike takes one and takes a bite. Amber shoves one into her mouth. They sit in the depot, eating Dan's Christmas cookies, waiting for the bus to New York City. End of play. <laughs> Next up, we have uh, a very short holiday screenplay. 
Um, uh, two Ways of Flying, a very short holiday screenplay by Fiona Ray Brunner, uh, inspired by the song Going to Hungary, is performed by the Mountain Goats, featuring the character Brass from the animated screenplay Pigeons by Jenny Gurley. And we have Stephen uh, Hallman and Allison McLaughlin. Uh, and reading, and uh, Jim Bates is going to read uh, the camera directions. Two Ways of Flying, a very short holiday screenplay by Fiona Ray Brunner, Cry Havoc 2012 Fall Intern. Exterior, Hungarian village, late afternoon. It is December. It is sunset. Every day has grown colder. In a small suburb of Budapest, crystal icicles trickle heavy from every rooftop, and white snow glistening bright like silver tinsel, dresses every treetop. A faded greenish turquoise garden cottage is nestled comfortably between hilly acres of field and tree. This is Gabriel and Maloya's home. Gabriel, bundled in navy blue dockers, bomber jacket, scarf, and worn felt dress hat, is stringing garland over the front door. Gabriel shouts in the direction of the front door as he strains to hang the last tail of garland on the front stoop roof. I'll be ready when you are, Maloya. Just I'm finishing up here. Interior, cottage, continuous. The home is aged and worn, but nonetheless well cared for. Maloya, her pink knit dress swinging over white and pink rose-dotted tights, jumps up from her coveted spot in front of the wood-burning stove, putting the finishing touches on the leather lace-up boots she has been polishing up for today's outing. She leaps to the foyer and readies herself for the cold. Gabriel opens the front door with a grin. All set, kiddo? Maloya nods. Gabriel leans forward, holding her check and her cheek. That's a different uh, her cheek and face in the palm of his hand. He, remo he removes his working gloves and looks up, catching her gaze. His eyes linger on hers. Is today a quiet day, Em? Maloya lips slightly upturned, nods yes. Okay. He smiles knowingly, but is visibly concerned that he will endure another day of silence with Maloya. Let's make our way to the Christmas fair. Our friends at St. Peter's will wonder where we've gotten to. Gabriel leans down and stretches out his hand. What do you say? Maloya smiles up at her father and gratefully rests her palm in Gabriel's. <clears throat> Exterior, the cottage, continuous. Maloya leads Gabriel off the front stoop, and the two walk hand-in-hand hand out of the front gate of the shallow stone enclosure surrounding their house and turn onto a wide, snow-covered road. Exterior, country road, continuous. Night navy is seeping into the cold cobalt blue of a winter sky, ending at the tips of tall pines that flank the road a little beyond where the hand-holding silhouettes of father and daughter are walking now. Maloya is silent. A flock of sh black-shadowed birds squawk through the winter night sky. Maloya and Gabriel stand cheek to cheek. Maloya looks longingly at the birds in flight. Mom, your mom flies with the birds now. Gabriel looks to Maloya. What would you say to your mother if she were here right now, Maloya? What would you want to tell her? Gabriel nestles his forehead into the lapel of Maloya's coat. Maloya wrestles out of Gabriel's embrace, rushing toward the pine-flanked road. Gabriel stands, hands in pockets, a foot behind, watching Maloya. Maloya, head upturned, tear-glossed blue eyes beneath long lashes, longing for a connection with the ethereal, bites her lip, and her cheeks ebb a chilled primrose pink. Standing on tiptoes, Maloya's hands glide, and arms stretch wide, grow into graceful wings. Gabriel is still, 
Maloya is a black silhouette flying before a road of, of white snow. Gabriel edges nimbly to Maloya, crouching beside her. She is listening, Maloya. Tell her anything you like. Tell her. A train sounds and rattles horizontally beyond the pine-flanked road. Yellow diagonals stretch beyond the tracks a mile down. Gabriel stands, looks to Maloya. That's us, kiddo. We gotta pick up our speed. Gabriel picks Maloya up with the holler and runs through the wooded area toward the train station. Cut to exterior train station early evening. Gabriel and Maloya arrive at the train. Gabriel is out of breath and must guide Maloya. She is reluctant to look away from the sky. Interior, train car, early evening. The train is speeding fast. Ice white blankets cover every treetop, and high arched Alp train windows frame an abstract blur of plush white, faded blue hues, black branch, and green. Gabriel and Maloya are seen as black figurines. Zoom, elbows perched on knees. Gabriel leans forward in his seat, feet dangling freely. Maloya sweeps her eyes from her fingers to wrist to elbow as she envisions a dream of flying. Maloya moves her arms up and down. Gabriel takes her hands in his and holds them preciously. Tell me, Maloya. Gabriel looks to her hands in his. Tell me some words you know. Whisper, maybe. I will say nothing. Gabriel, head bowed, listens intently. Maloya... Eyes upturned, looks searchingly at her father. Maloya is silent. The train slows to a stop. Gabriel glances out the window. We're in Budapest now. Smiling, he reaches for Maloya's hand. Maloya jumps off her seat and leaps into the train car floor and reaches to nestle her hand in Gabriel's. Gabriel lets Maloya lead him. This has been a tradition for years, and she knows the way. Cut to exterior Budapest street evening. The sidewalks of the Danube Riverbank are iced over and white. It is dark. The Budavari Palace, the Castle Palace, is glowing bright against a stark black of evening sky and reflects luminously on the waters of the Danube. It is Christmas time. Gabriel is taking Maloya to the Christmas Fair at the Square of St. Peter's Basilica, just as he has every year since she was five years old. She's eight now. Raising Gabriel's hand high, Maloya prances gracefully from left to right beneath it. Gabriel is grinning. I have an idea of what you search for, Maloya. They walk into the Christmas market at St. Peter's Basilica. Delicate bulbs glow in orange-yellow hues. Booths are dressed with red felt ribbon and golden flake crepe paper. Every corner breathes fire-roasted chestnuts, and vendors smile invitingly at beaming high-spirited customers. Gabriel scans the marketplace and spots the vendor he and Maloya have known for years. The vendor sells miniature Christmas villages. Exterior, vendor shop, continuous. With Maloya in hand, Gabriel run, rushes over to his friend, sneaking behind the side curtain to enter the booth. The vendor and Gabriel exchange inaudible whispers. Gabriel exits the booth in high spirits. He gestures goodbye to the vendor. Maloya waves goodbye and turns back to the fantastical world that is the Christmas market at St. Peter's Basilica. Exterior, square of St. Peter's Basilica, continuous. Maloya is living in magic. Her eyes twinkle orange-yellow at their glassy layer, reflecting the delicate bulbs gracefully strung from each spherical vendor booth. She glides by each of them, carefully regarding their trinkets, and then moving on to the next. Gabriel subtly guides Maloya. They stop at the smallest tent in the square of St. Peter's Basilica. The curtains to it are, neatly, are nearly drawn shut, but a small sl sliver of yellow light ebbs through. Maloya lets go of her father's hand and gently pulls the 
right curtain aside. She lets it fall behind her, so mesmerized that she doesn't think to hold it open for Gabriel. Interior toy shop, continuous. Gabriel catches up with her and follows quietly as she edges through the trinkets. There is no glitter wand, no vibrant bowed kite, or golden-haired angel that captivates Maloya. She walks further, deeper into the enchanting narrow hall of beautifully wooden-crafted Pinocchio dolls and green-hued hand-painted frogs. Mozart's first symphony, Adante, is seeping from a small nook at the very end of the long, narrow hall. Her pace slows, and even rhythms of sound grow more poignant. Here, at the very opposite end of the tent entrance, on a small wooden shell, she finally reaches the source of music, a ballerina. She is white porcelain, and smiles with features painted by a deeply loving hand. A pale pink tutu frames her slender arms and gracefully raised neck. She is on a porcelain stage, adorned in frills of pink and yellow. Mozart's first symphony, Adante, is playing. She is dancing. Maloya stands still and watches patiently as the miniature ballerina soars from one end of her stage to the other. For a moment, the ballerina is all she sees. She breathes in deep, stares with admiration for a while longer, and without shifting her gaze, speaks to her father. I want to fly that way. The ballerina is dancing. Gabriel stands slightly to the side of Maloya, his hands resting on her shoulders. Maloya and Gabriel stand in a world golden and glittering, with toys, happy, captivated, and spellbound by the ballerina's delicate and wispy whirls. Every light sparkles. We pull back through the inside of the tent until Maloya and Gabriel become faded miniatures and only a splinter of golden light is left glowing golden through the two green felt curtains of the small green tent in the bustling Christmas market. Fade to black. sort of 
that's kind of where the idea of Maloya needing to find her path came from. And yeah, the going to Hungary title and my friend connection. It was kind of, well, dancing was with that. All right. Excellent. Uh, next up, uh, we have um, Slut Claws. <laughs> a very short holiday play by Allie Keller. Inspired by the song A New English, performed by Billy Bragg, and featuring the character Troge from her play In the Bonds. And we have Jersey Gwizdowski and Maylisa Bryan Sanders. Two? Yeah. Okay. Volume two. Slut Claws, a very short holiday play <laughs> by Allie Keller, Cry Havoc Workshop Regular. Troge, two years out of college, is frantically searching through her apartment, which she shares with Cookie, an overgrown frat boy of the same age. <laughs> she is dressed. She is dressed in a revealing Mrs. Claus costume. Cookie is lying on the couch, passed out asleep. He is wearing a Santa hat and no shirt, but is covered by a blanket. The apartment is a mess. There was a party last night. It's around 9 a.m. Cookie, get up. Cookie, wake up. Cookie! Troge walks over to the stereo and flips on Call Me Maybe, which comes blaring through the speakers. <laughs> Cookie wakes up startled and falls off the couch. Troge shuts off the music. Mom, it's a weekend. Where are my clothes? I don't know. Where are all of my clothes? I have to leave in 20 minutes. It's too early for clothes. Troge runs and tackles Cookie on the couch. They fight a little bit. Give me my clothes. No. Yes. No. I don't have them. Liar. I don't have them. Troge freezes. Where are they? The exact location has not been disclosed to me. Troge uh. gives him a look. Cookie looks down. <laughs> Bam Bam took them last night after you passed out. You didn't stop it? A Mack truck couldn't stop a drunken Bam Bam. Well, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Just wait a little. He'll bring them back eventually. Troj gives him a look. He'll at least pay you back. I have to meet Dan's parents in 20 minutes. I can't go like this. I cannot believe you. Me? You guys took all my clothes the night before you knew I had to meet my fiancé's parents. Everyone is upset with you because all you care about is what to wear to brunch for people you don't even know for a guy who wasn't any more special than the rest of us 24 hours ago. No, I don't know them, which is why it's important for me to make a good first impression. So, slut claws is probably not the best choice. You're not going to be slut claws anymore because of that guy who showed up in his shirt and a tie last night to propose to you at the frat Christmas party? I'm not going to be slut claws because I'm going to brunch. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, Cookie, I'm stopping because last night I was passed around a frat apartment, a frat apartment dressed as a whore with a bunch of guys who are more handsy than my fiance. I was so drunk I didn't notice someone writing on my arm, if lost, return to Cookie's apartment. <laughs> uh, remember when we used to do that as a safety precaution for sophomores? Yes, I do, but I don't want to be returned to you anymore. I'm not property, Cookie. Not property. A trophy. Ha, 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 ha.
any way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you're marrying that guy because he's not as proud of you as we are? Okay. That guy's name is Dan. Dan is a stupid name. Oh, because cookies normal. <laughs> is it's uh it's Mommy Can I Have a Cookie? And I earned that name. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. And despite that, my friends are named Cookie and Bam Bam. He thought it'd be nice to have the people I care most about there when he asked me to marry him. If he wanted to make friends with us, he'd share you. We need you here. What are we supposed to do without you? You're grown men. You'll figure it out. You had to teach us how to use the dishwasher three separate times until you finally gave up and said that you'd just do the dishes from now on. We will not figure it out. <laughs> well, when I had to clean up the two feet of foam all over the floor, it became easier to do the dishes myself. That was a fun day. <laughs> Admit it. It was funny to come home to you guys sitting on the ground covered in foam. And uh, after they left, that was pretty fun too. Okay, stop it. Dan doesn't appreciate you bringing that stuff up and neither do I. I don't appreciate you choosing him over me. We haven't been together since college. And then we moved in together. That's only a big relationship step if you're in a relationship. We slept together when we moved in. Because we only had one bed. <laughs> well, it meant something to me. Of course it meant something. You're my best friend. But in five years, I want to wake up to a clean apartment in pajamas and a guy who doesn't duct tape cardboard to his feet when the floor is dirty because he's out of socks. So you're marrying Dan because he wears socks. Yeah, that's the sole reason that I'm marrying Dan. Socks. If I was marrying Bam Bam or Windows 95, would you be acting like this? <laughs> no. <laughs> because you'd be ours. Like you are now. I'm not yours. You used to smile when we said that. Well, I'm not happy with it anymore. Cookie and Troge stare at each other for a little while. Troge breaks eye contact to check the times. Okay, I really need to go. I'm taking some clothes, okay? Cookie doesn't say anything. <clears throat> Troge goes into the other room and returns a few moments later wearing jeans, a fraternity t-shirt, and pulling a sweater over her head. Take that off. You hate this sweater. I'm not talking about the sweater. Take off the letters. The random girls who wake up here get to wear them. Oh, they're ours. You aren't anymore. Take it off. Fine. Troge changes her shirt and pulls the sweater over her head. She leaves. Cookie is left alone in the apartment holding his fraternity t-shirt. End of play. Oh. <laughs>
collection in 2009, uh, and it goes something like this. Nest for the Holidays, a short screenplay by Jenny Curlin. Interior, Museum of Natural History, early evening. Plume, a plump pigeon, blinks and sits otherwise motionless. He is sandwiched between a stuffed belted kingfisher and a seaside sparrow, surrounded by 30 other elaborately posed stuffed birds behind a large glass pane. Above the glass pane is a sign that reads, Birds of North America. Plume is extremely uncomfortable. The sounds of footsteps approach. He holds his breath as a security guard passes by. The sound of a circuit breaker shutting down. Lights out. The echoing footsteps of a security guard grow more and more distant. Security check complete. Plume stretches his wings and adjusts his neck and back. He looks around. Something is missing. He hangs upside down off the nest, but he can't find it. He flies through an open tile in the ceiling, out of the display, and circles the perimeter of the room. Across the corridor, he sees what he's looking for. Dovey, a beautifully colored, ornate fruit dove, is perched atop a palm tree in the Central Asian exhibit. 
Dangling from her beak is a child's pink toy bracelet. She is draping it over a drooping branch. She notices Plume and stops. Her beak reddens with embarrassment. Plume lands next to her, and the delicate branch bends with his weight. What were you doing? Decorating the palm tree for Christmas. Why? I miss my tree back home. I'm nest sick. <laughs> A Christmas palm tree? There's no pine in Indonesia. Plume looks around the exhibit. Sure enough, there are no pine trees. <laughs> huh. <laughs> Dubby starts sniffling, and tiny squeaks escape from her beak. Don't squeak, Dubby, please. <laughs> Plume lifts the draped toy bracelet from the tree with his beak and places it over Dubby's head, and it falls nicely around her neck. You're pretty. <laughs> More squeaking. That doesn't, doesn't hurt? Dubby shakes her head no and smiles a little. Plume stops and smiles back. After a moment, I have an idea. Come with me. Where are we going? It's dark. New York is famous for Christmas. I want to show you. Plume flies excitedly out of the exhibit. Dovey reluctantly joins him. The two pigeons fly down the spiral ramp of the Scales of the Universe exhibit, swoops through the legs of the T-Rex skeleton, and soar over the giant whale. They squiggle through the abandoned mail slot in the back entrance. Outside, the weather is crisp. Plume flies slightly ahead as they pass through the trees at the entrance to Central Park and over the skating pond. It's cold, Plume! Plume races ahead and dives down low. Dovey follows. Plume weaves ep expertly between the skaters while Dovey nearly misses them all. The ice spray from a little girl's blade flies up and hits Plume in the face. Dovey stifles a laugh and keeps following. Past the skating pond, Plume and Dubby fly over the white lights outlining the zoo and atop the roofs of the kiosk to the holiday gift market at Columbus Circle. Below, an old woman shopper points at the pair of pigeons. <laughs> Dubby scowls. <laughs> the small crowd around the old woman watches the pair as they soar down the row of leather gloves, marionettes, pants, skirts, and handmade soaps for sale. Come on, Dubby, can you smell that? Plume follows his beak to the very edge of the row. Just in front of him is the Ginger Snap and Cider House. He lands on a table of tourists nearby. The startled tourists knock over their drinks and snatch up their bags. Dovey joins Plume. She tries a few of the ginger crumbs the tourists left behind and washes it down with cider from a puddle on the ground next to a dropped cup. Plume burps loudly. Dubby snorts and flies above the table. Plume, weighed down with a full belly, lifts himself into the air and pokes slowly ahead. Dubby follows him through the red stoplights to the glass towers of the Time Warner building. Plume bursts into the revolving doors, frightening a young couple. Interior, revolving doors, evening. The young couple flail their arms and scream as Plume bounces off the glass and feathers go everywhere. He can see Dubby in the next section. She's laughing. Interior Time Warner Building Evening. Plume and Dovey fly free of the doors, laughing as the young couple straighten themselves out. Plume makes a beeline for the escalator handrail and rides up. Dovey lands next to him. Plume puffs out his feathers and scrunches up his neck. Ho, ho, ho! Have you been a good little dove? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, weirdo. <laughs> All of a sudden, Dovey's eyes go wide. 
Over Plume's head, Dubby can see the snow-topped red roofs of Santa Claus's workshop. The escalator handrail reaches its end and Plume propels himself up and over to Santa's display. Dubby lingers by the escalator, staring in awe at the man in the big red fat suit. Plume goes back over and grabs her wing and flies her past the long line of children. They perch on the arch above Santa. Plume brushes off some leftover crumbs from Dubby's feathers. You ready? Yes. A red-headed girl with giant freckles slips off Santa's lap. Immediately, Plume and Dubby dive down and land on Puffy Red. They call out their Christmas wishes to, at Santa. Easy bake oven! Bicycle! Before Santa knows what hit him, Plume and Dubby are up and over the railing and diving down and back through the revolving doors and over the circle of traffic at Columbus Circle, laughing all the while. A quick montage. Plume and Dubby snatch a beak full of oats from, the ho from horses costumed as reindeer lining Central Park. Plume is frightened by an FAO Schwartz animatronic giraffe wearing an elf hat. Dubby flies into a tourist picture in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral. Close on, Plume and Dubby land on a branch. Christmas music below, Dubby smiles at Plume. Thank you, Plume. We're not done yet. In unison below, we hear, Four, three, two, one. Suddenly, Plume and Dubby are blinded by a huge burst of light. Dubby squints her eyes and snorts with laughter. The crowd below cheers and applauds. Dubby looks around in awe. Thousands of tiny bulbs of every color imaginable surround the two birds and shoot up in bright streaks through the tiny branches between them. What is this place? It's your tree. Pull back to reveal Plume and Dubby in the middle of the giant Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. Dubby smiles from ear to ear and a tear rolls down her beak. She bends her head and lets the pink toy bracelet slip off her neck. She picks it up with her beak and drapes it over the edge of one of the branches. Plume smiles. Merry Christmas. Exterior Rockefeller Center evening. Plume and Dubby fly out from the giant pine. Below them, Rockefeller Center is full of lights. Crowds surround the base of the tree and stretch for blocks in every direction. The stores are lit up and decorated for the holidays. The flags of the world whip back and forth next to the silver and gold colored Christmas flags. The ice rink glows white and full of tourists. A mix of joy to the world and cab horns fill the air. Fade to black. <laughs> was uh, the original of the uh, Pigeon Holiday Plays. And one of the highlights of my year, at least, and I would like to share it with you, um, was as part of this festival uh, that we did this year, one of the projects, uh, one of the 39 projects that were part of the festival, is that a group of students from the uh, Jakarta International School uh, in Jakarta, Indonesia, the homeland of Dubby, um, made a short live-action film of this screenplay. Whoa. And uh, we are going to, before we take a break, we are going to watch this short film that this group of elementary school students and their teachers made of this film. Um, so you'll be Hello, this is Jenny Curlin. I'm a resident actor with the Cry Havoc Company. You just heard my holiday screenplay, Nest for the Holidays. 
You can now watch the short film that the students from the Jakarta International School made at cryhavoccompany.org backslash nest for the holidays. And please do, because it's really wonderful. While our live audience takes a break for cookies and beverages, I wanted to let you know that the very short holiday plays from this year's collection are included when you gift a square foot of Cry Havoc's rehearsal and performance studio to yourself or to a theater lover in your life. You can go to cryhavoccompany.org backslash gift to gift a square foot of Cry Havoc's home. Copies of the holiday plays will continue to be available at this address even after the holiday season is ended. So now we will rejoin the live event starting with Seriously by Sharon E. Cooper. Um, so next up uh, we have uh, Seriously, a very short holiday play by Sharon E. Cooper inspired by the song Johannesburg as performed by David Aldo <coughs> featuring the character Paul from her play In the Meantime. And we will have Josh Bywater, uh, Matt Cowart, and Maylisa Briner-Sanders and I will be playing the role of Matt Cow. <laughs> Seriously, a very short holiday play by Sharon E. Cooper, Cry Havoc resident playwright. On New Year's Eve, near midnight, Nick, 32, and Paul, 37, are meeting up at a bar in Midtown Manhattan. Paul sits at the bar, looking at his phone. Sounds of New Year's Eve merriment are in the background. Nick enters, shakes Paul's hand, and they give each other a quick pat on the back, rubbing his hands together to warm up, Oh, you think those idiots have been standing outside waiting for a freaking ball to drop? Jeez, Louise, sugar, is it cold? <laughs> Dude, you're not at school, you can swear. So. <laughs> Where's Jackie? On her way. You want a drink? Uh, whatever, Budweiser, I guess. This round's on me. Yeah, uh, Johnny Walker Blue Label? <laughs> Nick gives Paul a look and walks away. Paul takes out his phone and talks to it. Uh, Siri, in what year? The noise from the bar increases and Paul leans into his phone. Nick returns with drinks. Paul is still engrossed in his phone. Nick holds out a bottle of water for Paul. Hello? Referring to the drink. <laughs> what the hell? Pointing to the blue label on the water bottle. Blue label. Ass. Uh, it's, it's 1907, by the way. Nick hands Paul a beer. What is? You asked how long the ball's been going down in Times Square? No, I didn't. I asked how long have people been standing outside today. Oh. Into the phone. <laughs> Siri, how long? <laughs> Don't. Whose stupid idea was it to meet spitting distance from this madness? I didn't feel like venturing far away from home tonight. Oh, sorry. Right. I heard about you and Lily. That sucks. Sorry I didn't call. <laughs> you know, holidays. Busy. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I understand. It's just the little things, you know? Like, she'd ask me if I wanted coffee. And I would say no, and then she'd ask again. Like, I didn't say no the first time. <laughs> oh, well, don't feel like you have to And she share doesn't the... like my dog. <laughs> she says he barks too much. He's a dog. That's his job. I mean, what's not to like about Rufus? And last weekend, she was at my place, and I had to do laundry. 
and she was helping me fold. Nick looks confused. My socks. She rolls them together like this. He demonstrates. Even though she knows that I fold them like this. He demonstrates. How could I be with someone like that? She's clearly sending a message that she wants to change me. Whatever. How did you find out anyway? Did Lily tell Dana and Dana tell Jackie and Jackie tell you? No, Lily changed her Facebook status. Oh. Really? Sorry, it's so hard. It's... <laughs> it's not hard. You know what? I'm going to go on Facebook right now and give her a thumbs up. <laughs> a moment, then, regarding his phone. Huh. She's in a relationship. Wow. That was fast. No kidding. Paul looks back at Facebook and then at Nick. And Jackie posted on Lily's comment, maybe you'll end up walking down the aisle like I'll be next year. I knew you could do better. Jackie, 29, enters, more dressed up than the guys. She's brought New Year's Eve noisemakers, hats, etc. She plops herself in Nick's lap and kisses him passionately. Paul pulls out his phone and looks at it. And then, finally, she notices Paul. Look, look, look! She thrusts her hand in front of Paul, showing off an engagement. I had to show my mother first. That's where I was at my mom's. I had to show her before I tweeted and posted. Three people have already given me us a thumbs up. Ah. Ah. Wow. That's great. That's so great. I'm happy for you, too. We are going to Johannesburg. Okay. For the honeymoon. She's always wanted to go to Africa. Yeah. Oh, to do a safari or something? We're going to the Apartheid Museum. <laughs> really? You have to walk the walk, you know? Nope. Don't know. So here's how he prefers <laughs> Will you marry me on a parachute? His great uncle did that for his great aunt because he was in World War II and he was away and was fighting and stuff and came home with a parachute with a proposal on it. So I wake up on December 28th, which is my favorite day of the year because it's smack between Christmas and New Year's. I hope that doesn't offend you because you're Jewish. I mean, happy Hanukkah, by the way. Thanks. And, uh, there, was, there was several weeks And ago. there was a small parachute on the foot of the bed in like, big black stalker-like letters. It says, will you marry me? I mean, just like that, will you marry me? And even though Nick didn't serve in the war, it had the same sentiment, you know? The lighting in here is terrible. I'm gonna go to the girls' room to look at my ring. And she's gone. Oh, sugar man. <laughs> I was gonna tell you about the engagement and then you just seemed so devastated about Lily. No, I'm not devastated. It's just awkward to be like, hey, we're engaged and you're all like alone. <laughs> Single. By yourself. <laughs> Without anyone. <laughs> On New Year's Eve. Yeah, I'm good, man. <laughs> yeah, I got everything I need. Jackie returns, Nick hands her a drink. Aw, isn't he sweet? <laughs> 
So, Paul, it hit me while I was trying to look at my ring in bad lighting that we, well, mostly Nick, but we were being insensitive about you and Lily. Paul was just telling me that things are going well. Oh, yeah? Dating someone new? No. Better than that. Uh, a new Siri upgrade. I, I, I can't get out the door without her. She has a great sense of direction. She has a nice voice. She doesn't contradict me. And she doesn't control me. She doesn't act like my friend and then mm, stab me behind my back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's because she's a phone. Yeah. Right, a phone can make up for human contact. Yeah, sometimes I'm just checking in with her like a dozen times a day. You used to check in with me more often. He used to call me every day during his lunch break until a slutty substitute became his friend. And he brushed her booze by mistake while eating cafeteria food. <laughs> I thought you were over that. Yeah, I was until I brought it up. <laughs> Why would you volunteer that kind of information? Ever since then. He wants me to wear these push-up bras. It was a gift. You like Victoria's Secret. I didn't have anything I can't breathe in to these do. Things. And I told you, I stopped calling because they cut down on part-time staff. And now I have to sit with the kids during lunch. I have to work all day at work. I don't just sit around dreaming up riddles and jingles. Branding. This isn't the 1950s. And that's how we're going to buy an apartment together. Because we're sure as hell not going to do it on a piss-ant teacher's salary. <laughs> Nick, you know, maybe it's time for you to get an upgrade, too. Siri, do you think that Nick... Does your iPhone girlfriend tell you about the thousands of Chinese workers making slave wages and living in squalor so you can spend all day with some simulated female that it can help you find the nearest Starbucks? No, but if I asked her, hey, where do half the diamonds in the world mine in the war zones to finance insurgencies? She'd be like, Africa! What is wrong with you? Lily, I knew you could do better. That was a private message. Uh, no. Apparently it wasn't. Enough, you too. This is all a bit fudged up. <laughs> we are in a bar, for Christ's sakes, not with second graders. You think it's cute that I don't swear? Don't talk to me. <laughs> and in the background, we hear 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and old Lang Syne. Paul kisses his phone. Siri says, Happy New Year. Jackie and Nick uncomfortably scroll through their phones, and Paul, quite content, scrolls through his phone as the lights fade. End of play. <laughs> Cafe. It's such a super trap and 
This year we bought 20 of each. It's a special year. Can I get another beer? Sorry, I'm 19, but I'm Australian. We'll just take, we'll, we'll just take the coffee. Can we go? Mom, wait. I have to talk about something. 
Paul is not my father. If he was, I'd be Asian. <laughs> I'm not Asian. <laughs> I'm Australian. I'm <laughs> on. What's, got, what's gotten into you? Yes. You grew up in Australia. Here, drink your coffee. And my dad is Australian. My real dad? My blood dad? Right. But Paul is your father. You're lying. <laughs> She's lying. Paul is your father. Your biological father died before you were born. I know. I know. That's the truth. Can we talk about this at home when you're sober? Why did I come to this bar to dance with strangers on Christmas Please, Eve? Please, Gianni, you are causing a scene. A scene! I'm causing a scene! I'm sorry. I'm Australian. <laughs> Mom, <laughs> tell me about my father. Tell me about Bill McCaffrey. Your dad was Bill McCaffrey? Christ. He used to hang out here. I didn't know he had a daughter. No one does. So it's true. Uh, okay, yes, we're talking about this. It's true, Gianni. Bill McCaffrey was your biological father. Wow. It's an honor. Bill McCaffrey is a hero. He saved me and my parents. I was just a kid, but I remember Bill McCaffrey, Channel 5 News, <laughs> told us that a flood was coming. It's tragic that more people didn't listen to his broadcast. He was fired for it. You were one of the lucky ones. You should be proud to be his daughter. I am. Thank you, uh... Rich. Uh, thank you, Rich. Could you give us a minute? Bartender nods and backs away. Gianni? Gianni takes a journal from her bag and tosses it to Jennifer. Oh, so you do go through my dresser when you come home. I was just looking for Christmas presents and POW! Surprise! I was reading this the other day. It's been 20 years since I saw Bill. When he gave you the puppy? Yes. He gave me a puppy and I left him. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to tell you this Christmas. By letting me find your journal? No, that's not what I meant to happen. I didn't know how to tell you that you are Bill McCaffrey's daughter. But why hide it? I didn't want you to grow up in a shadow. After the flood, San Francisco memorialized Bill. So you keep me in Australia to keep the secret. I to protect you. And Australia is your home. We didn't want to take you out of your world when we moved back permanently to rebuild. You didn't tell him about me, did you? I didn't. I'd left him for Paul in a new life on the other side of the world and then it was too late. Did you believe him? I wasn't sure. He was like a man possessed about the flood. It drove us apart, but he'd once said in his research that Australia was the safest place to be if a flood hit the West Coast. So yes, I did. He saved all of us. Did you love him? Of course. He would make it a point to dance with strangers on Christmas Eve. He was crazy and funny. You would have loved him. Is the red rose for him? Yes. And the white? For you. They sit for a minute, taking everything in. <coughs> to Bill McCaffrey's daughter. <laughs> She's Australian. Daughter. Yeah? Mom? Yeah? You want to dance? 
They move hand in hand to the dance floor. Happy flood anniversary. <laughs> Merry Christmas Eve. The music grows louder, and Jennifer, Gianni, Brad, and the bartender dance. Lights fade, and they play. <laughs> Gianni's from Australia, she'll get by fine, as performed by L.A. Salami. Uh, which sounds like this. She was so game at being German. <laughs> Caitlin is playing a man, but who says things in German. <laughs> so. You just want me to say it. <laughs> I do. Freulich Weihnachten. A very short holiday play by Kevin Hallman. Cry Havoc resident playwright. 
A sparse shoebox of an apartment. A mattress on the floor with one pillow and a blanket. There are three small stacks of plays and acting books. There's a door to the bathroom and a door to the outside. An actor, late 20s, stares at himself in a large floor-length mirror. He is shirtless. He grins in approval, then clownishly exaggerates his smile like a horse baring its teeth. The actor goes into space work. He minds brushing his teeth in front of the mirror. His movements natural in an attempt to recreate a private moment. He spits and rinses his toothbrush, miming every step, turning off the water, wiping his face. There is a knock at the outside door. The actor freezes and examines himself once more in the mirror, then goes to answer a second knock. <laughs> he is still shirtless. He opens the door to reveal the director, a strange man in a funny hat. Merry Christmas! Freilich Weihnachten! <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Get out of the way. I have a present for you. The director throws a man in the apartment. The man falls to the floor. He is bound at the wrists and draped in a hood. Here. Whoa! <laughs> Jesus! No. It's just a man, I'm afraid. <laughs> a German man, I think. I found him at the International Arrivals Terminal. Merry Christmas. Freilich by Nocton. Who is this? He is my gift to you. Oh, my God. <laughs> you are weird, man. What, what, is, what is some German dude doing in this apartment? The better question is, what are you doing in this apartment? The lighting is dreadful. It does you no favors. What's your rent like? I'm sure you're overpaying for the location. You're, you're always available. Okay, 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 okay. Just, I'm just going to breathe a second. The actor moves to the mirror and breathes three times slowly as he watches himself. Better. <clears throat> Good. Please, please explain why this dude is on my floor. Because he's too tired to stand, I think. <laughs> Stop playing. Because you need practice. Did you think there was a chance in hell I'd let you go up there on the day and do this for the very first time? You're going to have to get your reps in. Your abs are telling me that you understand the analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Or did they just wink? I think I'm blushing. But my reps? Weird German Lusemik, bitte? Shut up. <laughs> you think you don't need to practice? Your craft is perfected? Okay, here's a person. Be him. Do it. Now. Whoa, 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 whoa. I can't do that. I, you can't just... Put me on the spot or something. I have to prepare. No, I have to prepare. He has to prepare. And, and what am I going to do with this? I, I, I can't take care of a guy, someone else. He's, he definitely can't stay here. Well, he's going to. No, I can't, I can't feed him. I don't have any food. You'll figure something out. Or he'll die. Either way, it'll be fine. It, it, <laughs> it won't be fine. You gotta get him out of here. And I can't accept gifts from you. I have a contract. I have an agent. If you're giving this to me, a gift, as some sort of compensation, how am I supposed to give my agent 10% of a guy? A German guy. That too, man. A man! And did you just kidnap him or something? Isn't that dangerous? Certainly. That's why I have this. The director pulls a long, heavy, dirty Harry-style pistol out of his pants. Oh, this is too much, man. I'm not ready for this. The actor storms into the bathroom, slamming the door shut. It's a terrible habit you have, running off to the loo. 
I can't even guarantee we'll have one on the day. I'm gonna have to go a whole day without a bathroom? Or longer. Have you ever tried literally tying a knot in it? It's time intensive, but there are some incredible side effects. There's a knock at the door. Hooey. I thought a few cops might have followed. Good thing I brought the gun. The actor opens the bathroom door. Police? Well, yes, dear. Hostage situations are often taken quite seriously, especially at an airport. The director, <laughs> the director opens the door to reveal a teenage delivery boy. They all stand frozen and mute. The director, his giant gun poised high in the air, the German still bound and hooded. After ten seconds of silence, Where is da? Hat German gekommen um mir zu helfen? Ich habe family in Chicago. Ich wollte gar nichts nach America zu kommen, aber ich bin just here. Denke ich. Ich bin hier, weil mein family, gebeten mein family aus Chicago. Haben Sie etwas zu sagen? Wenn Sie noch, das ist okay. Ich weiß wirklich nichts die Schuld dieses auf niemanden außer meiner Family, die Luten werden in Chicago. Did you order pizza? I did. <laughs> the delivery boy slowly drops the pizza box, then backs away. It is incredible how much free stuff I've been getting lately. <laughs> the Christmas spirit must be extra contagious. I know I had several suspicious rashes at the moment, and you have food for you and your homework. The actor stares at the German who is motionless. Homework. Again, I'll say, Merry Christmas. Freilich Weihnachten. And you should say, thank you. Thank you. I never said it was going to be easy. In fact, if you had bothered to ask, I would have told you that the, the task was going to be quite difficult. As he grows more animated, the director uses the gun in his hand to gesture with increasing abandon. But a dozen or so other men would die for the chance to be the first actor to become a different person. Not a character, but a human being. The actor's greatest task, and after you do it, everyone will know. Everyone. <laughs> Even people who have no idea. <laughs> Just like a crossword gets easier the day after it's published because now people know there is a solution and you will be... Okay, okay. I'll take him. Of course you will. Can you please stop waving that gun around? No, this old thing? Yeah. Fine. So serious. <laughs> Your sense of humor has disappeared completely... There it is! You're practically German already. <laughs> I'll leave you. The director walks to exit. Uh, am, I, am I good enough for our project? Not yet, no. How many of uh, these are there going to be? Until you are good enough. And then there will be some more. <laughs> Until I'm satisfied. <laughs> Sounds like it could take a long time. Then I, get you, I guess you better get your sweet little cheeks started then. 
The director exits. <laughs> the actor pulls the German up on his feet and sits him on a milk crate. The improvement is only slight as the stranger is still tied and cloaked. Das fühlt sich nicht sehr gut. Yeah, yeah, uh, good, good. It's better to sit. <laughs> the actor paces, anxious, stealing glances at his faceless guest. Man, Merry Christmas. Freilich Weihnachten. Merry Christmas. Freilich Weihnachten. Freilich Weihnachten. Freilich Weihnachten. I can do this. Freilich Weihnachten. Freilich Weihnachten. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can do this. The lights fade to black. End of play. <laughs> and that was inspired by uh, Chicago as performed by Clouseau. Immer da, wo was los ist, immer mitten in der Stadt. Dort, wo die kleine Welt ganz groß ist, sieht sie sich an den Lichtern satt. Sie erzählt dann und fand für den und den, und sie hat jeden schon gehabt. Auch wenn sie sich selbst nicht ganz so pflegt, fehlt sie zumindest den Kontakt. Und sie träumt von Chicago. <lacht> There's, there's very few uh, understandable things in that song other than the word Chicago. <laughs> so I, I decided to embody that with the character. I, I was having a, a lot of difficulty figuring out which, uh, what to write for this play. And I, I have another play that I developed here where a char several characters speak in an invented language and you, you don't ever really understand some of the things they say. I thought about doing something with that and then I was told that that uh, was not a good idea. I should try something new. She was right. She was right. And so, and so, in in, in Ghostlight, one of the things that um, in the times that it's been workshop with some different people, the the actors often, the director and actor, and there's also an actress character often ask, like, well, how did these people come to do this thing? Which is that they take over another person's apartment and then take over his identity. And, and, I, and I thought it was a fun excuse, a fun, fun way to explore this idea of, like, how, how did these people rehearse this in, insane thing? And, and how long would they have had to rehearse this thing? What, what did that look like? So that's where I came from. All right. Excellent. <laughs> and last up for this evening, uh, although I should say there are a number of plays that we are not going to read this evening, but are equally wonderful, and you should read them in the Around the World for the Holidays collection. Plays by Julia Bilbao, Josh Bywater, Leah Philly, uh, Kit Lavoy, Allison McLaughlin, and Caitlin Wilcox, many of whom you've seen tonight, but you've not heard their writing tonight, and it's pretty terrific, so you should read it. Um, and uh, finally tonight what we're going to do is read 
this year's uh, uh, Pigeon screenplay, uh, Squab's First Christmas, a very short holiday screenplay by Jenny Curlin, inspired by the song Indonesia, as, perform as performed by Gigi, uh, featuring the characters Plume, Dubby, and Dixie from her screenplay, Pigeons. Uh, I'm going to ask Annalisa Chamberlain, Jen Kerfman, Laura Kaiser, Will Clark, Caitlin Wilcox, Allie Keller, and Fiona Ray Bruner to join me either up here or at their seat. <coughs> so, for those of you who have been following the story of the pigeons over the past four years, the end of the uh, screenplay from last year's collection ended with the reveal of um, uh, two eggs in uh, the nest uh, that um, uh, Plume and Dubby share in the uh, Birds of North America exhibit uh, at the um, uh, Museum of Natural History. Uh, so, Squab's First Christmas, a very short holiday screenplay by Jenny Curlin, Cry Havoc resident actor. Exterior, Rockefeller Center, evening. A tiny gray and white speckled pigeon soars above the crowded Rockefeller Center and dives into the ice rink, reaving low in and out of the startled skaters, ice chips flying up as their skates skid to a stop around her. She zooms around the rink and over the heads of screaming teenagers, <clears throat> gaping at a trio of Italian operatic pop teenage tenors as they belt out Silent Night. Suddenly, a tiny purple mitten jabs into the air, nearly missing the pigeon. A little girl, held tightly by her mother, makes big, wild motions with her tiny arms. I hope I get a Furby this big! Her mother wrestles her still as the crowd swells around her. The pigeon dashes around the little girl's hat. The mother points up towards the unlit Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. The pigeon follows her hand, zipping around the stage and up the back of the tree and into the rush of green pine. Inside the dark tree, the tiny pigeon flies up and up, rustling the pine needles around her, revealing hundreds of waiting pigeons. Finally, she lands out of breath on a dark branch at the top of the tree and looks down. She immediately perks up. Merry Christmas, Dovey. Directly below her, Plume, a plump pigeon, and Dovey, a beautifully colored ornate fruit dove, stand perched between two squabs, one bright pink and the other gray from head to foot, jumping up and down, squeaking with delight. Dovey tries to hold the pink squab in place so she doesn't fall off the branch. And the jump rope, and books, and cookie. I hope he remembers. Eve, be careful. Above, the pigeon laughs. Dovey steals a quick look. Dixie, hey! She makes a face to Dixie that says it's been a long day. Then the crowd below starts to count down. Ten, Ten nine, eight. Dovey turns back to Eve excitedly. It's almost time. Dovey shoots a look to Plume, who is lightly tapping the unlit tiny bulbs with his feet with the gray squab. Plume looks up, smiling ear to ear, and catches Dovey's look. He grabs a hold of the squab and spins him around to face towards the plaza. Dovey grins at him. It's almost time, Denny. Denny darts his eyes around and around at the unlit tiny bulbs. Then, in unison below, we hear... Four, three, two, one. Suddenly, the pigeons are blinded by a huge burst of light. Thousands of tiny bulbs of every color imaginable surround them and shoot up in bright streaks through the tiny branches they're standing on. Dubby sticks her head in between Eve and Denny and nuzzles the two wide-eyed squabs. The crowd below cheers and applauds. Plume watches his family laugh at the way the colored lights light up their feet. I'm blue, Mama! 
Denny hops over to a pink light and gasps. <coughs> a huge smile crosses his face. He grabs Dubby's wings. Mama, mama. Denny looks down at his lit up body. What, I'm pink like you now too? <laughs> Plume looks over at Eve who is beaming at her brother. Eve looks around at all the beautiful colored lights, then back at Plume with a slight frown. They don't have any gray lights, Papa. Plume grimaces. Dubby looks over at Plume and nods with her beak, mouthing, let's go. She leans down to Eve and Denny. Remember what the lights mean, you two. They let Santa know it's time for little squab girls and boys to go to bed so he can come and bring presents. Plume's eyes light up. Presents? <laughs> Eve and Denny look at each other and start hooting. They zip out out of the tree together, leaving Plume and Dubby in their dust. Immediately, Plume and Dubby jet off after them. They take after you! The pigeon brood, with Eve and Denny taking the lead, soar over St. Patrick's Cathedral, past the holiday-decorated building facades up Fifth Avenue, and zip over the snow-blanketed trees of Central Park to the Museum of Natural History. One by one, they wiggle through the old abandoned mail slot at the back of the museum. <laughs> Interior, Museum of Natural History, evening. Inside a dark exhibit hall, dimly lit display cases line the perimeter. At the far end, tiny bright lights from one of the cases reflect on the overly polished museum floor tile below. Behind a plaque that reads Birds of North America, a collection of stuffed indigenous birds are posed wearing tiny Santa hats. Eve and Denny bounce around the nest, decorating it with a single strand of Christmas lights. Once the final end is tucked in, the squabs start jumping up and down uh, and on top of each other in excitement. Settle down, it's bedtime. We need Santa food. <laughs> Plume glances over at Dubby and mouths, Santa eats? <laughs> Dubby smirks and pulls out a plastic bottle cap full of water from behind the base of a tinfoil decorated tree. For Santa. Plume, Eve, and Denny look at her quizzically. Water is not food. Plume nods affirmatively and gives her a wink. He zips through an open tile in the ceiling, leaving Eve and Denny staring curiously up at the opening. Plume bursts back in with a discarded M&M bag in his beak. He turns it over and a single red M&M falls out next to the cap of water. For Santa. Also. Dubby chortles. Plume tosses the bag behind his back. Okay, you two. It's time for sleeping. Eve and Denny hop into the nest. Eve immediately spins around. But Mama, how will Santa fit through the mail slot? He's tubby. (laughs) Dubby fidgets and looks at Plume. He stares blankly for a minute. Then... Ah, he uses magic. Plume makes magic (laughs) wing motions and noises. Poof! (laughs) (laughs) So many questions! (laughs) Eve starts jumping up and down. I'm excited. I'm so excited. You know, when you're an adult pigeon, you'll just want to go to sleep on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Why? Because all grown-ups want to do is sleep, I promise. (laughs) Okay. The quicker you go to bed, the quicker we can open presents. Denny snaps his beak and his eyes shut. He then opens one eye slightly and looks at Eve. Eve, go to bed. (laughs) Eve scoffs and fidgets and shuffles her feathers into a comfortable position. Plume looks on with Dubby, her eyes getting heavy and then snapping too. Once the squabs are breathing deep with sleep, Plume nudges Dubby awake. It's time. Dubby smiles a sleepy smile and flies to a high branch and retrieves Dave and Buster's prize tickets from behind a stuffed seaside sparrow. What are those? A 
books for Eve. Do you have the jump rope? Right. Plume zips off to a rock in the corner and lifts it mightily, struggling, finally revealing a small white case labeled dental floss, slightly squished underneath. Plume slowly nudges out from under the rock with his foot, then lowers the rock back down into its original place. With the floss in his beak, he spins around and stops. At the base of the tree, a pile of pizza crusts is stacked. On top of the pile, on a little crinkled piece of brown paper bag, is written, For Plume. Plume looks at Dovey, amazed, and then all around the display, shocked. What? What? <laughs> How? <laughs> Plume hops over and drops the floss by the rest of the presents, getting daringly close to the crusts. He turns around and Dovey is right on top of him, eyeing him with a smirk. He pecks her on the beak and zooms over to the stuffed, belted kingfisher. From under the kingfisher's wing, Plume pulls out a thin, long strip of plastic and quickly conceals it from view under his wing. His back to Dovey. Don't looking. Dovey turns around and goes back to arranging the pile of presents. No looking. A series of shots. Plume and Dubby dash around the exhibit, gathering a button, a toothpick, a golf pencil, a Hot Wheels car, a tube of chapstick, the top end of a toothbrush, a popped-out glasses lens, and place them all under the tree. I think that's everything. Plume glances around at the sleeping squabs. Denny is now almost completely hidden, tucked under Eve's big, bright pink wing. There's still one more thing I want to get. Plume flies out through the open tile in the ceiling and soars out of the exhibit hall down the scales of the universe, dives to the open belly of the Stegosaurus, and into the Eastern Woodland Indians exhibit. Plume zips around to each case searching. Then in the far corner, he sees what he's looking for. In an open case, a beautifully colored Indian headdress. Sticking out of the headdress is a myriad of brightly colored feathers. Plume coasts over and tugs a bright pink one with his beak until it comes loose. Cut to... <clears throat> Dovey in the display case, wrapping little ribbons around each present. Plume dives through the open tile with the bright pink feather sticking out of his beak. Dovey looks up at Plume worriedly. Plume's beak reddens a little. So we can match his mama. Plume bends down to place the bright pink feather next to the jump rope. All of a sudden, his eyes go wide and he spins around, yelping. Ah, what are you doing? Dovey looks at Plume with a little smile. A gray feather sticking out of her beak. Eve wants to be like her papa, too. Plume smiles at Dovey, Dovey rubbing his sore tail. Dovey and Plume place a, the bright pink and gray feather on top of the gifts and hop back into the nest and carefully slip inside and sidle up next to the sleeping squabs. Merry Christmas, Plume. Plume grins. Then Dovey yawns big and with a little squeak and immediately falls to sleep. Plume looks over at the decorated tree, the cookie, the books, the jump rope, the frisbee, the lightsaber, the baseball bat, the skateboard, the play-doh, the back scratcher and the microscope, and the matching pink and gray feathers. Next to the children's gift, the stack of pizza crusts and the long white strip of plastic. On the other side of the white strip, a series of three black and white images. In the first image, two teenage girls pose with model faces for the camera. Behind them, there are two tiny streaks of blur. In the second photo, the girls are flailing at a single blurry image, and perched on a tiny ledge in the corner is Plume, 
looking straight into the camera. In the last photo, the girls are ducking defensively, looking up towards the ceiling, while Plume sits on the edge in the background with his wings around Eve and Denny. They all have perfect yet slightly mischievous smiles. Plume looks down at the pink and gray heads below him. He puts his wing around Eve and Denny and rests his head on top of Dubby's head beside him, smiling. Plume's eyes remain wide open as a sleeping brood lets out a cacophony of snores. Fade to black. inspired sort of for reasons that Jenny will explain by the song Indonesia uh, as performed by Gigi. This is Jerzy Gwizdowski, Managing Director of the Cry Havoc Company. Thank you so much for joining us for this special holiday episode. Again, if you'd like to get a copy of this collection of very short holiday plays for yourself or someone you love, visit cryhavoccompany.org gift and gift a square foot of Cry Havoc's home. Thanks again to everyone so much for joining us. A new season of the Cry Havoc podcast will begin in the new year. If you've not already done so, Please subscribe for free on iTunes to join us again for our regular discussions about the craft of acting, writing, and directing, and about the realities of being a working artist in New York City. You can also go to iTunes to check out all of our previous episodes. And to learn more about the Cry Havoc Company and our upcoming events, visit www.cryhavoccompany.org. So for myself, Jenny Curlin, Jersey Gwizdowski, Julia Bilbao, Melissa Briner Sanders, Fiona Ray Brunner, Josh Bywater, Annalisa Chamberlain, Will Clark, Chris Comfort, 
Sharon Cooper, Matt Cowart, Jennifer Kerfman, Jim Fagan, Leah Philly, Kerry Flanagan, Kevin Hallman, Ali Keller, Laura Kaiser, Allison McLaughlin, Jen Reichert, Becky Sterling Rigg, Caitlin Wilcox, and everyone at the Cry Havoc Company. Happy holidays, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe.